I want to touch on a few things and there'll be time for some questions and we have a few announcements this morning. But as you move through this retreat and other retreats, you will hear kind of favorite aspects of practice from whoever the teachers are. You'll hear it during instructions, you'll hear it during the talks, you'll hear it during the group meetings. And so some of it will ring appropriate to you and you'll want to use it and try it out and other aspects that are suggested, you'll just kind of shake your head and say, what, you know? So um, don't feel you have to incorporate everything, just if it speaks to you, kind of bring it home to your own, to your own practice. In the beginning I mentioned uh, gladdening the mind it's one of my favorites. And the way it's been taught uh, through the ages is that there are three main ways to gladden the mind. And the idea of gladdening the mind is to bring, bring and allow some of that brightness, some of that radiance to maybe creep into the picture. I, the way I like to look at it is it kind of sweeps the room a little bit, cleans the room before we begin our exploration. So the one that I happen to be partial to is uh, gratitude, just considering a few things that you're grateful for. There are two others, though, that are, that are mentioned and taught. One is to reflect on acts of your generosity. That has a, a way of kind of brightening the, the internal landscape also. Large or small, you held a door for somebody always like the example in the summertime of taking the worm off the sidewalk, putting it in the grass because you know it won't make it. Yeah. And then the third way, is, and this one's a kind of interesting one, and that's to contemplate for a few, few moments or minutes on the qualities of a Buddha. You know, what are the qualities of a Buddha? You know, there's the wisdom and compassion aspect. So you can begin to feel into that, a heart that really responds to all suffering and really feels and understands and extends and connects to others. And a mind that understands suffering, that understands these big spiritual questions around the nature of self, around aspects of impermanence, so we, we, can, uh, we can reflect on those, the, the powerful qualities of a Buddha as a way to kind of begin. Another thing I want to mention is, um, uh, and is the template for practice. And we started this morning, and we often start with sound, um, because it's a nice kind of broad, open perspective. And most of you can, with a little practice, feel pretty okay about sound, that it comes and it goes. Sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's unpleasant. You don't feel like you own it. You have to do much with it. It just is there. So that is the template for the whole practice, in a way, and the template for the whole life. Now it gets a little stickier for many, 
when it's body sensations? Can you have the same attitude that you do with sound? That's spiritual challenge. Oh, no, no, this is my pain. Well, on one level it is, but it comes and goes just like sound. Oh, this is my aging body. I have to stop it from aging. Well, good luck. <laughs> you know, it comes and goes. You know, so that attitude with the body, that kind of open-handed, this is a phenomenon. It comes, it goes, it changes. There's all kinds of interesting sensations. And then it gets even uh, stickier with emotions. Can you have that attitude with emotions? Oh, no, no. This is my particular anger, jealousy, hatred, fear, whatever. Yes. But we're working gradually to experience those challenging uh, emotions with the same open-handedness that we can learn to be with sound. They all have an arc. None of them are permanent. So that's kind of the, the t you know, working with sound uh, can be seen as a, as a template. And the last thing I want to mention is that what we sometimes call the sacred pause, that moment when you wake up from being in a story or carried away with some planning, remembering, or whatever it might be. That is a very uh, important moment. Because in that moment, something has gone off in your brain, you know, to remind you, oh, I'm meditating. Uh, you know, I'm not in the story. I'm right here. So you've, you've, that is a moment of awakening. You're present again. You're awake. You feel your body, your senses. That's very different than being wrapped up in some endless story. So when that happens, when you awake from it, it's not a time to beat yourself up and say, oh, damn, I've been away 10 minutes again or 20 minutes. It's really a time to rejoice. It's like, wow, this is, this is different. I'm awake. And just hang out there. Just feel it. You know? Now, there also may be some, some residue depending on what energies were sweeping you away. There could be tension in the body, tension in the head, you know. So then that's a time to also re-relax, soften. It's really true you don't get any extra points by running back to the breath. In fact, when I learned this from a monk, he said, if you're involved in a, some kind of a thought process, or some significant energy pattern, and you just keep yanking yourself back to the breath, you're going to get tenser and more tense, piling up that tension until you finally say, well, I can't meditate. I'm too tense. That pause is a really essential time to just slow it all down. And you'll notice, gee, you've been off in a thought. Gee, there is some tension that's come into the system. So that's a time to offer that TLC, re-soften. So what's really cool about this is if your mind goes away all the time, you get to relax. You get to wake up all those times. So gentle, gentle, gentle. Um, some questions? Bonnie has the mic.
here? Yes? Um, so when you talk about sort of resetting, you realize you're lost in thought and you kind of reset your body and relax. Um, if you then say to yourself, oh, that's limbic love, that's the organism loving itself, is that just another thought? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is, but it's, it's part of your meditative mind giving you a little guidance. You know, it's like... So it's helpful. Yeah, it can be helpful. Like, w you're all developing a little way, your own internal meditative voice. You know, you, we guide you up here sometimes, and once a day we do a guided. But it's, it's perfectly fine to, to have the, that little voice saying, oh, now relax, or settle back, or don't need to grab anything, it's already here. You know, so yes, it is thinking, <laughs> but it's supportive, wholesome thinking at times. Can I ask one more question? Sure. Okay. So sometimes I feel like um, in talking about not rushing back, that's really helpful. What, closer? Okay. Um, what was my thought? <laughs> okay. Not rushing back. Not rushing back. Um, so you reset and you relax and you go back to your anchor. Um, can that also be an escape? In other words, does it take wisdom and discernment to know whether to stick with the physical sensations that have accompanied the thought or just to reset? and go back to the breath or the sound. Because my sense is that sometimes that can be an escape to just reset and relax mm -hmm. and go back. Thank you. This, this is a good question. Um, as contemplative artists, you are all making the choice as to whether it's whatever the phenomena is, whether it's over the threshold that requires our full attention and TLC. Now sometimes there'll be these kind of wispy thought streams, we become aware of it, they disappear, or maybe there's a low level sensation in the body. We don't have to go there. We can continue to build our samadhi and stay there. But if there, or there can be an emotion, a low level emotion, a little loneliness, a little sadness, but at a real low level. So we then make the choice, well, you know, I think I'll just stay here build my concentration a little bit. But if those energies and phenomena get to a point where you decide, oh, this is important, I'm going to turn my full attention, feel it fully, allow my anchor, whatever it is, breath, body, sound, to go to the background, and then I'm going to be with this and watch the arc of this and pay it the attention that it's asking for. So. It's a choice point, and we all have different uh, thresholds. Um, so it's an important aspect of practice again. But the good thing is that if something is very important, like there's an emotion that we're just kind of stuffing away, it's going to come back and jump on us. So we're going to get another chance. <laughs> the, the, the important stuff is, isn't just going to drift away. So it's almost like you can't do it wrong because you get a second and third and fourth chance. But we're making those decisions as artists as we go along.
was just um, wondering why, or if you could give me some information on why it is those emotions that jump back on us are generally the negative ones, and how it is that when you've got them sort of under control and tamed, and, and you're you're sort of just receiving them and acknowledging them, why the joyful or the blissful emotions don't necessarily come back and jump on us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did everybody hear that? You know, the, the, what, what she said was that working with the difficult or negative emotions, the really challenging ones, that even when uh, develop an attitude of kind of allowing them to come, it seems to be that's what's mostly coming and that there's not the joy or the some of the other more positive emotions. Well, it could be just that's this is the weather system for a while, a low pressure system that we have to work with. And it can it, it can last for a while. I've had that for I can remember when I had that for months. Every time I'd sit down to meditate, it would just be kind of horrible visions and negative emotions and so that was kind of like the hand that was dealt to me for a period of time. One thing we can do though is, is, is as we're going through our day or our life or even when we're sitting, just become maybe a little more aware of the positive ones. You know, it might be a small positive one. Like you notice somebody holding the door for somebody else and that's kind of sweet or somebody offers somebody a hanky. And you notice a little kind of, the heart kind of opens a little bit. Well then to kind of like, oh, look at that. You know, I'm feeling my, my mirror neurons are feeling the compassion. Or if you, something makes you smile, to pause there and note, like right there. You know, feel that, the brightness of that as it kind of spreads across your face. So we can, we can look for those. One quick follow-up and then we've got to stop. Yeah. It's just that it's there, but it just, it doesn't, it just goes back to sort of like, this isn't work. This is, okay, it's there, fine, let go, acknowledge yeah. it, as opposed to it just being there. Like how, do we, how does it, like the connection stay? Yeah, by repetition, by building, building it in. Most of us are programmed to just go looking for one of our neuroses after another, after another, and working on it. And we miss all the in-between stuff, like we have this beautiful heart and we respond compassionately and there's love and we have some smiles and joy. We just, well, what's, what can I fix next? Okay, thank you. <laughs>